Well, good morning. I am very honored to have the opportunity to be with you this morning. Um, you're celebrating five years as a church. What an exciting time. My wife and I were members at Faith Covenant five years ago when you started, six years ago when this whole process started. So it's exciting to have been seen it from the beginning and then watched it a little bit from afar as we occasionally had opportunities to attend services here over the last few years and now to be here to help celebrate with you uh, during this month of August and this month of celebration for you. I first had the opportunity to meet Rob when he was my daughter's 10th grade math teacher. That was back in 1998. My daughter wasn't a very good math student. Uh, her father was not a very good math student. And so I remember going to conferences and, and meeting Rob. And Rob was an incredibly gracious teacher. And he said, if you ever need any help, here's my phone number, call me. I was like, yeah, right. Teachers don't give out phone numbers. Well, we were on the phone a lot with Rob. <laughs> and Rob was incredibly helpful. And um, it was so neat to see him have the opportunity to come to faith as a youth pastor. And I remember my daughter saying, Dad, you need to be one of Rob's volunteers. And I didn't want to work in junior high ministry. I, that, that just wasn't for me. But I did it for my daughter, and I did it for, I think, seven or eight years. Seven, I know, maybe eight. And as I look around the room, I see a lot of people who were part of that ministry. And so uh, it's just neat to see where Rob was and where he is now. And one of the things that has always struck me about Rob is the passion that he has. The passion that he has for people and the passion that he has for people to come to know Jesus Christ. And we witnessed his passion even in his giving of announcements. That may be one of the most uh, passionate announcement giving sessions I've ever been a part of. So, Rob, thank you for your passion and thank you for giving me the opportunity to be here. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new day. We thank you that... For some, the cold weather is bothersome. For some, the cold weather, they welcome it. And Father, we ask that you would help us to see whatever the situation is through your eyes. Father, I pray that you would open hearts today. I pray that you would speak through me. And I pray that you would help us to have a, a recognition moment by moment of who you are in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin this morning with uh, three 30-second videos, so I'm going to step out of the way, and we'll hope that those are going to work.
Organ donation allows people to experience moments that to most of us are truly mundane in our everyday lives. Those things that happen that we don't even give a second thought to, but people who have new life as a result of organ donation experience it in a whole different way. For these people to do simple things such as mowing the lawn or grilling a steak on the grill or even cleaning the toilet, they can see those through different eyes and they can celebrate those mundane moments. There's a dramatic before and after picture in their lives and in their life experience. Well, the videos that we just watched are very personal for me because they were written, they were shot, they were produced, they were edited, they were completely done my, by my brother, Tom, my younger brother, Tom, who about 27 years ago had a kidney transplant. And so it's very personal and very real for me that a young man, 18 years old, had to die on a motorcycle in order for my brother to be able to experience the mundane moments. Someone had to give their life so that my brother might live. My brother has felt a responsibility to live well as a result of that young man giving his life. Over the years, Tom has done things like skydiving. He became a pilot. He's flown with the Blue Angels. He's scuba dived all over the world. That's his real passion. He and his wife go all over the world scuba diving. He's certified as a dive master, so he teaches people how to scuba dive. And he's also certified as a handicapped scuba partner, both he and his wife are. And they go on trips around the world taking paraplegics and quad quadriplegics scuba diving. If you've ever had the opportunity to be at Sea Life at the Mall of America and see the divers in there, it's a good likelihood that one of those people is either my brother or his wife. He has sought out great experiences to celebrate, but also has a great awareness that there is celebration in the mundane. For those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of parallels to the story of my brother and the story of our lives as Christians. Prior to my brother's transplant, his future was pretty bleak. He'd been on dialysis for many years and wasn't sure if he would ever get a kidney. But a man gave his life so that my brother might live. His hope was a worldly hope for a call that might or might not ever come. Prior to our coming to know Christ, our future was a, vi a very dire one. Very little to celebrate. And yet a man came to earth and gave his life so that we might live. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we have had a heart transplant. We have a new life. Our old hardened heart has been replaced by a new heart brought to us by the creator of the universe. Our hope as Christians, is a heavenly hope. It's a hope of assurance. It's a hope of knowing that we will be able to spend eternity in heaven. And yet, here is where I think sometimes our stories differ with my brothers. While my brother has learned to celebrate those very mundane moments in life, we as Christians, 
I think, often don't recognize the moment-by-moment impact that Jesus Christ has had on us. We often don't seem a whole lot different than the people of the world. I'll tell you what, we are great at Christmas and Easter. Yeah, we love those, don't we? We do those well. We do Christmas and Easter well. But more often than not, we often, through the day-to-day, lead our lives as the lost people do. We complain, we compare, we talk about the things that we don't have, we complain about the traffic and the service we received at a restaurant, and we forget about the many blessings that God has provided us throughout our lives. Maybe I'm speaking mostly to me. Often when I have the opportunity to preach, it's more about me than it is about anybody else. But I hope that in some way it speaks to you as well. But I often find that I don't feel a responsibility to live my life well because Jesus Christ gave his life for me. I don't recognize and celebrate those mundane moments. Our scripture for today comes from John 8, 1 through 11. We're going to see if our clickers are working. There we go. Um, And John 8, 1 through 11, it's a, a story you're all familiar with. It's the story of the adulterous woman. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap. In order to have a basis... For accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who was out without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. I need to click a couple times, don't I? Are we good? All right. Thank you. You're helping me out in the back. I appreciate that. At this time, uh, who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, there's nothing mundane about this story at all. In fact, it's a pretty powerful story, but it does help us to recognize the need to see our world differently, to see our world through the eyes of Jesus. We don't know if that woman at the well, or if that adulterous woman, we don't know what kind of life she led after, but I would hope that she lived her life well. I would hope that she recognized that Jesus gave her new hope. As we take a look at the woman at the well, she deserved to be stoned. She deserved death. But Jesus stepped in and saved her life. The Pharisees were right. They were right by worldly standards that she deserved to die. And yet Jesus stepped in to save her. So, 
how do we begin to see the world differently? We're going to take a look at a little something that, uh, that I learned seven or eight years ago, something that I've done with the junior high ministry years ago as well. So some of you may have seen it, but I think it's just a great way a, and a great opportunity for us to learn how to see and recognize Jesus in the everyday moments. And for this, I'm going to step out of the way. We're going to take a look at something called the frame. And it's a very simple way of looking thing, at things. And we start in the upper left-hand corner. And so what the, uh, the frame in the upper left-hand corner says is the way that we see things, our beliefs about situations, other people or ourselves will affect how we feel. So we move across the top to the right. And how we feel affects what we do, our behavior or our actions. Now we're down in the lower right-hand corner. What we do affects to tend what, uh, tends to affect what we get. We move to the left-hand corner, and what we get tends to reinforce how we see or reinforces our beliefs. So in essence, it's the self-fulfilling prophecy. And so we're going to take a look at this story of the adulterous woman from the perspective of the frame. How did the Pharisees see her? They saw her as a sinner. How did Jesus see her? Jesus saw her as a child of God. See her th- Jesus saw her through a different lens than the lens that the Pharisees looked at her. The Pharisees were right. Again, by worldly standards, the Pharisees were right. She deserved to die, as did the man that was with her, with, for some reason, they didn't bring him along because he was supposed to die as well. But the Pharisees saw her as a sinner. Jesus saw her as a child of God. We move across to the upper right. Pharisees felt disdain and disgust for her because they were self-righteous people. They knew what was right and what was wrong. So their feeling about her was disdain and disgust. Jesus felt love and compassion for her. He needed, or she needed someone to step in for her. Let's move across now to the bottom. What did the Pharisees do? Well, they didn't get to do it, but what they wanted to do was stone her because she deserved to die. And what did Jesus do? Jesus loved her. Jesus stepped in between the Pharisees and her to save her life. And so what did we get? The Pharisees, they got self-righteous because, hey, they were doing what was right. They were doing what the law called them to do. If that story had carried out the entire way that they wanted it to. What did Jesus get? He got a redeemed person and a follower of God. Someone who had a heart transplant and was able to live a different life. Now let's take a look at the Pharisees, because they really take a bad rap in this story, don't they? I mean, they're the bad guys. Uh, And yet, when we take a look at what happened, you know, maybe they saw the world a little differently as well. We see self-righteous sinners. Jesus sees all people. Pharisees, adulterous women. Jesus sees all people. And loves them. And they are all children of God. And that's what Jesus saw even in the Pharisees. In our our field, we despise them because, oh, they're wrong. They're wrong. And we're just as judgmental as they are. And so that's that's how we see them. That's how I see them. Maybe you don't. Maybe you are better than I. But even Jesus felt love and compassion for the Pharisees. And so next step, what did they do? Well, if, again, the story played out, they got what they deserved. Now they walk away with their heads down and they're they're shamed 
And uh, yeah, that's the way it should be. And yet Jesus loved them. And what do we get? Our own self-righteousness. When we, when we read something from Scripture and we judge somebody as a result because it doesn't fit in the way that we think that it should fit in. And yet Jesus gets a redeemed person and a follower of God. We don't really know that from the story, but here's what we do know. They dropped their stones. Started with the older ones, then went to the younger ones. But every one of them dropped their stones, which tells me they had to be looking through a different lens than the lens that they looked through when they first came into this position, when they first brought that woman before them. We all can frame every single day. We all can begin to look at the world, attempt to look at the world through heavenly eyes, through the eyes of Jesus every day. Five years ago in January, I lost my job. Four years ago in February, my wife lost her job. We ended up losing our home. We ended up losing all of our savings, and we ended up having to start over from scratch in our mid-50s with nothing. And yet, through heaven's eyes, through Jesus' eyes, we now can look back at that time and say, that was an incredible blessing for us, an incredible challenge that we still wrestle with today. And yet, it has taught us how we can see God work in so many ways. So many people stepped up. Some people in this room stepped up and helped us financially helped us with moving, helped us in ways that we never could have imagined. But they were simple things, mundane things, that only could have happened because God was in them. The simple things of life. What was once a mundane event is now often becoming recognition of God. I pray daily that I recognize God working in my life. Each day as we go to bed now, Amy and I state three things that we are thankful for, a practice that we didn't do before. And this process helps us to attempt to look at the world through a heavenly perspective rather than a worldly perspective. And sometimes it's just simple things, simple things for the raspberries that we have in our bushes in the backyard, in the home that we rent. We're grateful for the provision of the home that we have that came about in a way that could only be through Jesus Christ. And that recognition of God moment by moment, seemingly mundane things that happen that can only be scripted by the hand of God. Don't get me wrong, we're not perfect in this. You know, we still complain, we still whine, we still talk about the traffic, and we still have our times. In fact, many of you in this room are probably much better at this process than we are. But each day, we try to see the world differently and celebrate the fact that as Christians, we are redeemed every day, and not just on Christmas, Christmas and Easter. Jesus died on the cross for us every day, not just on Christmas and Easter. And Jesus calls to us to draw near every day and not just on Christmas and Easter. I'm going to take a little bit of liberty here on some scripture. And again, we don't know what happened 
with the lady when she left, when Jesus told her to leave. But I think Jesus added one more thing. And the one more thing that he added to her when he said, go and sin no more, we find in Mark, um, uh, Mark 5.19. My notes are mess, mess, messed up here, and so that's all right. But it's in Mark 5.19. And it's the story of the man who was filled with demons. And Jesus sent the demons from the man to a herd of pigs, and they ran off a cliff and died. And the man wanted to go with Jesus. He was so impressed and so grateful for what God had done for him. And here's what Jesus said to him when the man wanted to go with him. He said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So Jesus didn't want him being with him. Jesus wanted that man out telling others about who Jesus is. And I think that's what God calls us to do as well, is not just come to church on Sunday, but we need to be here as well. But when we are out, God calls us to tell others about him and what he has done in our lives. One of my very favorite verses in scripture is John 10.10. The first half of that verse John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the second half of that verse says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Wow, what a before and after picture that we have in that verse. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when he can get into us with a spirit of complaining and a spirit of judgment and a spirit that draws us away from Christ... It just sucks the life out of us. And yet, the second half of the verse, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the same verse that in other versions of Scripture refers to the abundant life. And so what is the abundant life? Again, I think we often think from a worldly perspective, the abundant life is a life that gives us lots of stuff and lots of friends, and lots of things, and we travel lots of places. But that's not what the Christian abundant life is. The abundant life in Christ is recognition that he died on the cross for us, that he is with us moment by moment, regardless of how deep we are in the pits of hell, or how high things are and things are going well. Jesus Christ is with us all the time. Maybe you're here today in need of a heart transplant. Maybe you are here today and you don't know Christ. Well, if that's the case, I'd love to speak with you afterwards. Pastor Rob would love to speak with you afterwards. And I'm sure there's other people on the staff that would be willing to visit with you as well about that need of a heart transplant and what that can mean for you, what that before and after picture is. It doesn't always mean that life is going to be great. I can tell you that from personal experience, as I've just told you. But God is with us through all of the challenges. My wife and I had the chance to go to a wedding the other night, and one of my favorite things at weddings, because they're so unpredictable, are the toasts. The toasts to the bride and the toast to the groom from the, from the maid of honor and, uh, and from the best man. And those toasts are always uh, interesting to see what's going to happen. And now here's my, here's my other page. How about that? <laughs> it's amazing how that works, isn't it? But I think I got everything covered. Um, 
And, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing. One of the things that people like when I speak afterwards, I often hear these two comments. Wow, we could really hear you. (laughs) I don't know if that's good or bad. (laughs) And the other thing is that I really like the length of your sermons. And when you leave out pages, guess what? The sermons are shorter. (laughs) So think about the adulterous woman. Again, nothing mundane about that story. Nothing mundane about what Jesus did for her. Nothing mundane about the Pharisees and their recognition that, you know what? Maybe there's a different way to look at things. And so as we close today, we're going to close with a toast. And toasts are all about celebration. And so I ask you this morning to join me by raising an imaginary glass. Very good. We can wait for everybody. (laughs) We're going to raise an imaginary glass in celebration to the one who created and redeemed us. This morning we raise our glasses to the one who made our abundant life possible. We raise our glasses to the God who loves us so much that he gave his only son. And if we believe in him, we shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now go and tell others what the Lord has done for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. There is no sin that puts us in a well so deep that the rope of Jesus can't reach us. Help us to recognize, Lord, that you died on the cross for us for every moment. And not just those moments when things are going well, not just on Christmas and Easter, but every moment we are redeemed because of you. We have an old story and we have a new story. And that story is because of your death on the cross. Father, help us to be people who leave here today with a desire to celebrate who you are and to tell others about what you have done. In your name we pray.